Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. In sociology, we discuss several what we call rites of passage. These are universals across different cultures uh, that tend to be pretty close to the same in every culture. Some examples of rites of passage that most of us have been through would be uh, graduating high school. Okay, so a rite of passage is when you're going from one place in your life to a completely new place in life. We have several in our church right now that are going to graduate high school here pretty soon. I know Dan just graduated with his, with his master's. And what this represents for those that just graduated high school is that all of a sudden you go into this next phase of life. And I wish we could tell you this and make it make sense earlier, but all those friends, all those things that you cared about, all those things that are a really big deal, it's like the second you walk across that stage, those things no longer matter. And you wonder why they bothered you so much or the peer pressure and all of that stress that you felt. You wonder why it was so real for so long. Graduating college would be another example of a rite of passage. Stepping into a a new career or a, a first big job would be a rite of passage. Getting married is a really big one. This really changes your life in every way. Becoming a parent has probably been the biggest one for me. Some of you are approaching, approaching retirement, or for those of you that have already retired, you know that this is another rite of passage in which you're moving into another stage of life. Each of these represents a change in our lives marked by shifting relationships and a new perspective. Shifting relationships, relationships start to change around us. Some relationships that were very present are no longer very present, and in some cases, not present at all, and also kind of some new perspective. Well, now this is what I'm going to do with my time, or now my perspective has changed so much because we brought this child into the world, so there are all these things that have changed. Uh, this, is, this could be said, the same thing could be said, when the Spirit falls at Pentecost. This day marks what is often considered to be the first day of the New Testament church, or what I like to refer to it as the birthday of the church. With this moment that we see in Acts chapter 2, which is where we're going to be today, everything changes about the way that these early followers of the way see what it means to follow Jesus together. Pentecost was like a rite of passage for followers of Jesus in which everything around them all of a sudden becomes new. We take this for granted because for the majority of the people that are in this room, church is part of our regular every week experience, but it's something that's completely new to these early followers. Pastor Brad Mills, he writes it this way. He says, Pentecost is an important period of transi transition 
in which Jesus Christ, who had been present in the flesh with the disciples among people, was present, is now present by his spirit. This is a once for all, meaning it's not going to happen again, a once for all transition that should give anyone pause who wants to make what occurred at Pentecost the normative experience of the church. Now, this is the key part right here that we're really going to focus on. Pentecost marks a transition from, from redemption accomplished by the Son to redemption applied by the Spirit. Pentecost this year on the church calendar, June the 5th. I'll mention it that day, right around the corner. It would have worked out really well for this series if we could have been talking about this on June the 5th. But again, Pentecost marks a transition from redemption accomplished by the Son, the cross of Christ, to redemption applied in the lives of believers, these people that are left, by the Spirit. Now, we're not going to have time to talk about all of Pentecost today, but what we are going to do is look at the first 13 verses in the book of Acts. Now, if you're used to what we have read so far in Acts, or you're used to the Gospels in the New Testament, things are about to get really weird. All right, and when I say really weird, I mean like revelation weird. Things are about to change. The way that Luke writes in Acts and the way that Luke writes in the Gospel of Luke are two very different things, which I think is a really, really wonderful experience. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and what we're going to do real quick is we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. All right, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Just to give you just a little bit of background, or if you've not been here, Jesus has ascended into heaven the 120 have went up into the upper room to pray about what to do. And then last week we talked about this new disciple, Matthias, being added to the group after Judas Iscariot had obviously left. So here's what the Word of God says. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like a howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire. You see where this is different than what we have been reading? Individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem where they heard a sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed saying, look, aren't all these people who are speaking Galatians, meaning, shouldn't they all be speaking the same language? Shouldn't this be common? What is it that we are experiencing here? Every one of them, they're Galatians. How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, 
Egypt, and regions of Libya. You guys have no idea how much time I've spent this week with these pronunciations. All right? Libya, bordering Cyrene with visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them saying, they're full of new wine. They must be drunk. All right, if, if, if all this is going on, which makes no sense, they've, they're just a little bit into the bottle. They've been drinking just a little bit too much. So back to our quote. So next week we're going to get into Peter's sermon and it's going to get really, really, really good. All right, but this is what happens at the beginning of Pentecost, what we've read today. So back to what Brad Mills said. Pentecost, so that you understand it as a follower of Jesus or any of you that are in here that are regularly or normally outside of the church. Pentecost marks a transition from redemption accomplished by the Son to redemption applied by the Spirit. The cross accomplished everything that we need. Everything that we need for the rest of time. The forgiveness of sins. The ability to walk in this world as free people. Despite all of the political mess. Despite war. Despite all of the things that are going on. We have the freedom to walk freely in this world. But sometimes that feels a little bit scary. And for the early disciples, this felt very scary. Take into consideration the 12, and then also an extended minority that was also following along for the, for the better part of this three and a half years with Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, I'm no longer going to be with you. And then they physically see Jesus ascend, and they recognize that he's no longer going to be with them. So the point that he makes to them, and he tells them, I am going to lay it on thick. And that's what we see here at Pentecost on this day after the 120 have prayed together. Things are about to change. With the idea of a rite of passage, this new step, if you're just retiring, you know that you have goals and plans and things that you want to do. If you're a new parent, you know that your life has been completely turned upside down because all of a sudden you have these, these children now. You know if you're graduating from college that you're about to start this new job or at least start applying for new jobs and, and now you're on your own and there's this completely new perspective with shifting relationships and that is exactly what is going on in this moment. Everything is new and it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's perfect. So don't get lost on a lot of the, the funny language or the things that may not be common to our time that you are not familiar with. But this new experience that is so incredible. So there are two things that I want to talk about just for a few minutes this morning. The first is this, and it's the signs of Pentecost. All right, And with the signs of Pentecost, uh, there is some controversy all right, that we will talk about. And then also the reaction to Pentecost. What is it that Pentecost is actually breathing, uh, uh, bringing? And then we're going to spend just a couple more weeks going deeper into Pentecost because it's so important. Now, if you come from the, the higher church, we'll say the Catholic world, we'll say the 
the Methodist world, we'll say the Presbyterian world, the Episcopalian world, a lot of those high church denominations, you know what Pentecost is. So for a lot of, a lot of people that grew up in more of a, pap, a Baptist, and in some cases even Pentecostal background, they're not as familiar. So that's why it's so important that we make sure that we cover this in a great amount of depth. I don't know if you guys are, are used to celebrating Pentecost or acknowledging Pentecost, but anyway, the signs of Pentecost. This is what we want to pay attention to. The first is this. There's this there's this howling of a fierce wind. All right, so some of you say, well, there's a howling of a fierce wind. Well, so what? There's a howling of a fierce wind. What exactly does that mean? This same word, and we've talked about this before, that means spirit, is also the word in Hebrew, ruach, and also pneuma in Greek for wind or spirit. So whenever the, the word is used, for the most part, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, when it says there is a great wind or there is this rushing mighty power, it is often the same word that is used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. We have recently felt that mighty wind in this church. We have felt the Spirit moving in and descending on what is going on in this place, which is a very, very, very good sign. So what's going on here? This is deeper than what meets the eye. This is a meeting of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Testament and the New Testament or the Christian Testament. So there are these Old Testament parallels that are going on with this wind, including the stories of Moses and the stories of Elisha, and the story of Ezekiel. You guys know the dry bones song, the, the rattle song that we sing about the dry bones rattling, and, and the wind or the spirit is coming in, and then all of a sudden everything is coming to life. All right, this is a way to explain what is going on when all things are coming to life and all things are being made new. We're talking about people from many, many different regions gathered in Jerusalem together, and all of these things are becoming new as they are there. Now, the second one that we'll mention is this flames of fire alighting on each believer. Uh, now, there are some controversies that are here that are also a matter of interpretation as we try to look at and understand tongues in the 21st century. And I can tell you this, I did not plan on talking about speaking in tongues on Mother's Day. Anything else would have been better probably, but that's just kind of the way it worked with the schedule. But I did not look back in October when I start making a schedule. You know what's good for Mother's Day? Tongues. Let's start talking about tongues that day. It's just something that's going to come up a little bit today here in just a minute. So people have very mixed feelings about this, and this has a lot to do with denominational uh, affiliation and also your interpretation of Scripture. I'll share my thoughts that represent this church in just a few minutes, and we'll talk about that uh, in it, in it, just for a minute, okay? If you have questions, emails, things like that, just shoot them my way, and we'll spend all week talking about tongues. Uh, four verbs that we see here also that are very important as well. This is what's going on with the people. Mystified. Amazed. Surprised. Bewildered. You know what that means? Some of them are so knocked down and moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. They thought they understood their practices of faith within Judaism. Even many of these Messianic Jews that did believe in Jesus. But this is something different. 
This is entirely different. And you know what other people that are in the, not in the room, but in this space feel? They are terrified. They are scared to death. And let me tell you, any of you, which I think is the majority of you at this point, that have been in a room that is entirely spirit-filled, the power of God is moving, and lives are changing, and healing takes place, and there are these incredible, amazing signs of the Spirit. But there are other people who couldn't get to that door quick enough. There are other people who are absolutely scared to death of what's going on. We could call this the power of conviction, certainly. We could call this your rear end set on a church pew for 35 years and you've never taken one step forward and felt anything real. That's more often the case. We could talk about God really moving you out of your complacent place and someone who has suffered from addiction for 35 years walking out the door completely sober in a matter of seconds. That's the kind of Holy Spirit power that we're actually talking about. Several years back, I was uh, traveling to Dayton, Ohio uh, for a seminary class, all right, which is I had to take one-third of my seminary classes in person, so that meant that pretty regularly I was driving to Dayton, Ohio from Prestonsburg, Kentucky, and whenever I went to seminary in person, I would usually take one or two classes there. They called them intensives, and we would have lunch during the day, and we would have a chapel service, and this chapel service for seminaries is pretty customary. You know, it's maybe 30 minutes, something like that, but it's something that's kind of on a time crunch, and something that you take part in kind of as a formality, but also just to have a good experience of worship during your day. Well, this day was very, very different. There was a professor, and you have to keep in mind that I went to a Methodist seminary, all right, so whenever we talk about Methodists, and I love my Methodist brothers and sisters, but you're not necessarily thinking about people up shouting, you know, going wild, going nuts. You tend to think, in fact, Methodist comes from methodical. There's like an, a very, very strong order of service in which people go by, and there are patterns that are followed during the service. Dr. Pete Bellini, one of my favorite professors there, who was really in every world theologically. He was high church, he was low church, he was orthodox, he spoke in tongues, he was all over the place. We often referred to him as a Methecostal, all right, because he was actually ordained in the Methodist church, but he was very charismatic in his viewpoints. So he speaks in, in chapel that day, and again, it usually is more of a formality, but something very bizarre happened that day. And something that this, uh, this boy who uh, was weaned in the Southern Baptist Church that was then away for a long time that then started to follow Wesleyanism was not very familiar with. And the spirit just fell in a way that I had never experienced before. And he's continuing to preach, but then people start praying all over the room. It would be as if people in this room just started to section into different places and pray while I was still preaching. And the, what's the song that we sing? The, the, the Spirit of the Lord the atmosphere is changing now because the Spirit of the Lord is here. You know that song that we sing, and we know when, when that overcomes us within the church how good that feels? You know, the Spirit of the Lord is here. The atmosphere is all of a sudden changed. And when the atmosphere changes, did you know that there are a lot of churches the atmosphere never changes? Other than the temperature, you know, maybe in the room, the atmosphere doesn't change at all. The atmosphere changes here. All right, that's something that we know. So the atmosphere starts to change, and I start getting into this, okay, Okay, God's doing something. Something's happening. To the point where after a short period of time, I'm absolutely trembling. 
And like the dean, who's still pretty serious, is kind of looking at his watch and thinking, okay, it's about time for, for service to wrap up while Bellini just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. He's a dynamic preacher. There's a healing in the service. People are slain in the spirit. It's like nothing. I've been to a lot of Pentecostal churches. I've been to Pentecostal churches in Africa. It's like nothing that I'd ever experienced before as far as the power of God just lifting burdens in the moment. Like people able to leave that place different. After that, we're all expected to go back to class. And I couldn't even think of anything for the rest of the day. There was a time whenever I was, and, and there may be just be a few people in here, just a few that remember this, but when I was a kid, I grew up at Hunter First Baptist Church, and I cannot remember if it was a Sunday evening or if it was a Wednesday evening, but it was just a regular church service at the beginning, but the Holy Spirit just absolutely broke out in an amazing way, and what turned out to be just a normal Sunday or Wednesday night service turned into weeks upon weeks of revival, of people getting saved, of marriages being restored, of people receiving calls into ministry, and just this domino effect that happened in our community. It was an, I got saved, August the 4th, 1997. Uh, Jeremy Hodge right back there got saved. Uh, my wife got saved not long after that. It was just this incredible experience that I just, people that you would have never imagined going to an altar, people that you would have never imagined just falling out in tears, just the things that we saw, no time limit on the service, didn't matter if the kids needed to be in bed, didn't matter if any of this stuff needed, and then people just started coming every night to this absolutely incredible experience. Would you guys hand me one of those chairs? So I want to talk to you guys about something just a second, because I believe that there is somewhat of a, of a formality with the way that we actually do church. So I want to just ask you just a few questions, and you don't have to answer these questions. Please don't. These are, these are rhetorical questions. But I want you to think about something for just a second, all right? What happens in this place if we get away from the formalities of what we think church is supposed to look like? What happens if we really start to pray things up and we're not necessarily worried about the things that we have to do before church? We're not necessarily worried about the time that we have to get out of here. What happens if the people that are in this room right now start seeking the Spirit of God? I am telling you that atheists that are in this room right now will break down by the power of the Spirit. That people that are in this room right now that have suffered for years with addiction, suffered for years of making their priorities other things, the Holy Spirit will change everything in this place among these people. But this is what we do most of the time instead, especially since it's Mother's Day. You're thinking right now, since I've taken a seat, I know their service starts early. Am I going to make the restaurant before it gets busy? Listen, what we're talking about right now is a lot more important. You need spiritual food. You need to be fed. What happens when families start to change? What happens when our financial priorities start to shift? What happens when this is no longer just a Sunday thing? Okay, I know they usually do three songs, a message, two songs, and then I think we're pretty clear to get out of there. All right, then we, we can get on with the rest of the week. What if you started being the same person Monday through Saturday that you are on Sunday? What if the dynamics changed in your life? What if you and your spouse or your family, including your children, started to really fulfill the calling 
that God has on your life? What if culture tells you, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to make your money. This is how you're supposed to take care of your kids. And you recognize because you are so awestruck by how good and powerful God is. You see, this is not typically what we get on a Sunday. Because we're so chained to an order of service, or we're so hijacked by a bulletin, that we can't even begin to follow what God wants to do. What happens if this is something that we take serious? What happens if our hearts are transformed from the inside out? What happens when teenagers are able to bring their real anxieties and insecurities and frustrations and lay them down at the feet of Jesus forever? What happens when parents are prepared to not simply just look in a phone book for a therapist, and I'm very pro-therapy, but Jesus is the greatest therapist. And that's never going to change. I'm not against medication. I'm not against any of those kinds of things. Those, those things can work very, very well for people. But what happens if we start to look at Jesus before anything else and say, if you're the ultimate healer, and as we get into Acts 3 after Pentecost and this beggar is healed, why can't that happen today? It's happening in third world countries. The blind are seen. The lame are walking. But we are so distracted in our Western culture. If the Holy Spirit descended on in this place like Pentecost, there'd be some people that would be so frightened, they would be convinced this is voodoo. Like, this is not church. This is not the way that this is supposed to be. They've completely thrown formality out the window. What if God moved in a way? What if we sought that? What if this place was the place that transformed everything in our region? You know, the question really what it comes down to is where is your faith? Is this some superficial faith that kind of gets you through the week? I'm convinced that, that the way that we are wired is primarily for safety. Okay, we want to make sure that we can survive this world and not experience pain. We're pain we, we, we want pain avoidance while still being able to manage as much comfort as possible. It's not the way of Jesus. And it never has been the way of Jesus. Now, on the topic of tongues, which I'll, which I'll share very little of, I'll share a quote by theologian uh, Derek Thomas, and I think this really uh, sums up my thinking regarding, regarding this position. Is the gift of tongues given to the church today? Is it a means by which the, is it an indispensable sign of spirit baptism? Because that's often what you hear if you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, that this must be a baptism in tongues. No, no matter how such Pentecost-like phenomena are interpreted today, the fact remains. What occurred at Pentecost was the ability to speak in known foreign languages rather than some angelic ecstatic utterance. Moreover, the phenomenon of tongues was one of those signs or marks of apostleship. This comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The supernatural signs performed by the apostles served to testify to this unique and divine commission. So what is my personal view? And I'll try to speak for myself, not necessarily just for Believer's Church. Do I believe that people can speak in tongues in a healthy, private prayer life and it be something that is truly edifying. I do believe that. Do I believe in the public demonstration of tongues? 
I do not. And I have many Pentecostal brothers and sisters that I love very, very much, that I would completely respect their viewpoints. But my reasons behind this is because for unbelievers, I think it's confusing. And for for other people in the church, I believe that it can uh, bring disorder. And even in the case sometimes when we talk about the need for an interpreter, which is very, very important, I don't know that I can fully trust that person in that moment. May not be a popular view, but that's, that's basically where I stand. Now, as far as the reaction to Pentecost, what is the reaction by the people that are in that room or in that place? I don't know why I keep saying the room. I'm thinking about the upper room. In that moment, four verbs that we see. Mystified. Amazed. Surprised. Bewildered. All right. Many of the Jewish bystanders that are used to a certain kind of practice are completely baffled by what they're experiencing. And then this this is what Jesus is saying. And this is the result of what Pentecost is accomplishing. Through the events of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit now dwells among us. We did not have that prior. But what does Jesus say in John 14? You're nervous. You're anxious. I completely get it that I'm going away and I'm also being somewhat vague about what is going to happen. But I will always be with you because I am going to send you an advocate. I am going to send you someone to be with you in every single moment of your life. As Thomas maybe says, But Rabbi, sometimes I get scared. And sometimes I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will guide you. And as Matthew says, I don't know how to control this particular sin. I have a level of frustration or a level of arrogance in this thing that is here. And if you're not here to pull me aside, to show me what I'm doing wrong, I'm not going to know exactly what to do. You have an advocate. You have the Holy Spirit with you in every single moment. And one of the greatest witnesses of your personal salvation and what God is doing in your life is the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and working in your life. But also, what else does Pentecost serve? The Holy Spirit empowers the church for effective service, witness, and global mission. For us to be able to reach other people and not simply do it by our efforts or our abilities is the Holy Spirit descending upon the New Testament church. Our ability to evangelize, our ability to make disciples comes from the witness of the Holy Spirit. You see, something that I've learned over time is that I can tell people about Jesus. I can be convinced that if I can just invite that friend here, and they're in the midst of this wonderful church, they are going to come to know Jesus. Because that day I'm going to preach real hard. And I'm going to preach specific things directly to them, which never works, by the way. It's all when the Spirit shows up and begins to convict that individual. And often it's in moments that we don't even anticipate. 
The Holy Spirit reveals the signs and wonders of God's in-breaking kingdom. As we've talked about these cultural values, these spiritual values, these kingdom values about bringing up there, down here. It's all the Holy Spirit. It's all the work of what the Holy Spirit does. So the question that I have for so many churches, are you in touch? Where is your dial with the Holy Spirit? Are you paying attention to this? And you know, I have some people that are incredibly charismatic. You have another group of people on the other side that are highly liturgical, liturgical in their worship. Listen, nobody has a copyright on the Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of churches that try to convince you and a lot of groups try to, oh, you guys aren't doing that? Well, you're just not excited enough about Jesus. Oh, well, you guys aren't doing that. Well, you're just not deep enough regarding Jesus. You know what you have to do for the Holy Spirit to show up? You have to seek. And as I said a few minutes ago, if we are seeking, Pentecost is going to fall. And we will be in the presence of God. But also the, the Holy Spirit, the purpose of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit makes us holy. Our ability to live this life, as difficult as this life is to live. You see, this goes back. If you don't see some natural progression, let's say that you've called yourself a Christian for 25 years. All right, or you've called yourself a Christian for six months. If there is not some natural progression, and it happens pretty slow, a lot of the time. But if there's not some natural progression, we call it sanctification, of you growing in this relationship, well, that's where we have a problem. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, church doesn't make you holy. A podcast doesn't make you holy. A friend, a pastor, they do not make you holy. It is the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your heart that makes you holy. Something I want to make sure that we understand as we move forward after the event. And again, we're going to get to Peter's sermon and Peter just lights it up. It's going to be incredible next week. Things start to change. There is a transition. There is movement. There is life. And I want us to use this event to reimagine what church is supposed to be. And this is what I want to encourage you guys to do. On your way here on Sunday mornings, think about something more than your biscuit through the drive through at McDonald's. Think about something more than the coffee you're stopping to get, th and, and think a lot more about that argument you're having with your wife or husband in the car, which probably happened this morning with some of you. But what if you were to ride to church and you were to say, God, I believe we can experience something completely new. I believe that we can experience a fresh renewal of the Holy Spirit today. And God, I've got these anger issues, or I've got these control issues. Or I've got this issue with depression. Or I've got this issue with shame and I'm just never going to be able to forgive myself for this divorce. And I've got all these things going on. Freedom is in this place. 
Freedom's in this place right now. There is more power that you can activate in this moment right now than any other place in your life. The Holy Spirit is here, and I'll tell you why. Because I know myself and several other people on our faces before God this morning, come Lord Jesus, remove us out of the way. Don't let me say a word out of the way. Speak through me. Let the power of God move to those who don't know Jesus. Let the power of God move through marriages that are struggling. Let the power of God move through people that have experiencing, been experiencing these internal demons and this shame and this fear and this insecurity their entire lives. For some people that believe they've got it all figured out, but on the inside, they are an absolute mess. And some of you are just so, so, so tired. All ye who are weary with heavy burdens, just come to me. We'll give you some rest. Because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You don't believe me? Taste and see that the Lord is good. One more time. Pentecost marks a transition from redemption accomplished by the Son. It is finished. Your sins are forgiven move into the newness of life today if you haven't in the past to redemption applied this is how you live in the 21st century in all of these culture world wars everyone's arguing we know what the issues are right now without me having to create a big hot moment and mention them all applied by the spirit it's going to be arguing conflict Hostility, just breathe that breath. Feel that wind of the Spirit that makes all things new. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.